I pray that you have been blessed during this series. I, I love to talk about worship. Worship is my heartbeat. Worship is my heartbeat. And kingdom worship, I think, is something that's dear to the Lord as well. And we're going to kind of talk about that tonight. We're going to kind of, let me just recap where we've been. We've talked about foundations. That was lesson one, foundations. We realized that at the foundation of kingdom worship lies one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? And then we talked about true worship is when your spirit is in constant pursuit of Jesus Christ, and that that pursuit will always lead you to a place of sacrifice. That's true worship. So we talked about that at Foundations. That led us then into expressions. And expressions are the outward display of, those, of that inward pursuit. That pursuit that you have for him, that an expression is just that, that manifestation of that. Last week we talked about devotion. And we read a quote from Oswald Chambers that said, Stand true to God. And he will bring out his truth in a way that will make your life an expression of worship. That's beautiful. This is my devotion. Staying true to your vow, to your commitment, because your rest and your peace and your hope and your victory is in your devotion. And so today we conclude our series here with collective. I'm pumped up, I'm stoked, I'm excited, I'm every word you can think of to talk to you about this today, and I hope you're excited. And for a few moments, if you would, just go ahead and put your papers down, put your device down. And and tonight, as we're concluding this, I want us to come in this, this moment. I want us to approach this moment with just a heart for worship. Could you do that with me today? All right, if you would, take your hands, lift them up in the air, and let's give God a pursuit of worship. God, I pursue you tonight. God, I worship you tonight. Oh, God, I bless you today. I give you all my praise. I give you all my glory. I I give you all the honor. I give you everything I am, God. And Lord, I come together with my brothers and my sisters in a moment of collective worship where all of us together are here for one purpose, one reason, and that's to pursue you. And that's, God, to seek your face and to seek your kingdom. God, we want your spirit to be manifested in the room. We want your glory to fall in the room. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That's it, that's it. A few more minutes, a few more minutes. Oh, that's it. God, I engage my spirit. I engage my heart. I engage God with you today. Lord, connect me with what you're trying to do. Oh, let me see what you're trying to do, God. I want to be connected to that. Hallelujah. Oh, that's it. That's it. He loves collective worship like this. He loves collective worship like this. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, come and dwell. Jesus, come and occupy. Jesus, come and sit. Jesus, come and be here right now with us. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Father. I pray you keep that posture of worship tonight. We're going to turn in our Bible. We're going to go to Revelation, the fifth chapter. I'm going to go to verse number 11. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor, glory and power. Be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and they worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Wow, what a moment. What a moment this is. If you would, put your devices down, lift your hands one more time, and let's, let's welcome his spirit. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, I pray. I pray, God, that you permeate. I pray, God, that you saturate. I pray, God, that you just pour out your glory in this room today. Lord, open our hearts. Open my heart today. Oh, I need you like I've never needed you before. We worship you in Jesus' name. You may be seated. There is something so special when we come together to worship. When we form a worship collective. In our text, John has a vision. This is answer one on your page. He has a vision of heaven. And he sees the throne of God. And at the throne were thousands upon thousands. And they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Speaking was every creature all around the throne of God. All of creation was found in an infinite moment of worship. A never-ending moment, just calling out praise, just singing his name, just constant glory being lifted. This infinite moment, blessing and honor, glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. One day, everything that you and I have constructed about the way that we have church will fade away except for one thing. And that's collective worship. Our service structures won't mean anything. One day our programs and special events will become irrelevant. 
Our church buildings, as beautiful as they may be, one day will not matter. There's only one thing that happens now that happens for all eternity, and that is collective worship of this beautiful picture of the way that heaven is going to be. It's this loud, fervent, collective people and creation all lost in a moment of worship. I wonder for a moment if you could close your eyes with me. Can you picture the worship of heaven? Can you picture 10,000 by 10,000? Not a definitive number. It's the idea that heaven will be filled with innumerable amount of creation lost in worship at the throne of God. Mm, what a moment. And if collective worship is what we will be doing for all eternity, then it must be something that God longs for, that he loves, that he desires. It must be something that means special to him. So what happens when we create a worship collective here in this moment? When we gather together in collective worship, what happens is we bring the atmosphere of heaven down to earth. That for a brief moment, we can experience that which we will be doing for all eternity. We get to experience the, the worship of heaven. Oh, and I believe this is when the phrase, when heaven touches earth, really comes to life. Collective worship gives us a glimpse of what it will be like to worship around the throne. Mm. So when we walk into this place on a Sunday, you're not walking into just a building or a structure. You're walking into the throne of God. There's something so beautiful about collective worship. And it's different than just worshiping at home or by yourself. Martin Luther said, at home, in my own house, there's no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. Why did he feel that way? How could Martin Luther say something like that? Because he understood what brings God from heaven into the midst of his people. When we get lost in worship together. If you're trying to find God, you're looking for him in the atmosphere of collective worship. That is where you will find him. Psalm 22 and 3 says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Inhabit here in the original text means to marry, to remain. As pastor just preached, to sit down, to live and occupy in a place. This is where he lives. Collective worship is where he dwells. 
He inhabits the praises of his people. This is the space in which God Almighty occupies and he fills. John spoke of it here in our text in Revelation 5. God was surrounded by an innumerable amount of creation that is worshiping him. John saw God dwelling in this collective worship in Revelation 4. He sees one on the throne. And in verse 8, he says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day or night. And they're singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Oh, he dwells in collective worship. Isaiah chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood seraphims. Each one had six wings, and twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly, and one cried unto another, and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God dwells in the midst of collective worship. If you want to find him, you're going to find him around worship. If you want to look for him and you want to know where God is, I can tell you where he is. He's in the midst of hearts. He's in the midst of voices crying holy 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 is the lord god almighty oh if you're desperate for him and you need him in your life and you're trying to find him you will find him surrounded by collective worship he dwells there he lives he's surrounded by Cries of adoration and exaltation. He lives, he occupies within the praises of Israel. The praises of his people. Matthew 18 and 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I. Where do I find him? God, I feel alone. I look to the left, you're not there. I look to the right and you're not there. I look behind, I'm looking in front, you're not there. Where do I find you? Just start praising. (laughs) Just start worshiping and you're going to find him. Hey, get together with somebody else. Why? Because he dwells. Because he dwells in the midst of his people. It's all about collective worship. When we gather collectively calling on the name of Jesus, heaven comes down. Jesus fills the atmosphere. This room with chairs and a drum cage and a keyboard and carpet, this room goes from being a room into being his throne room. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. When we collectively call on his name, he enters the room. And when he enters the room, he brings liberty. 
And with that liberty, we all are transformed and changed from glory to glory. And that's the process. That's the process. Consider it's collective worship that draws God in. And then we as a collective are changed by him. We, all of us, draw him in, and we, all of us, are changed by him. Acts 2 reflects this idea. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The power of God fell through the collective worship of his people. They created a spirit of unity and focus and it brought the spirit of God down to where they were. This is the power of collective worship. Now, if you would, right where you are, lift your hands and lift your voices and let's, let's lift up a loud voice of worship because he's here in the room. And, oh, that's it. That's it. That's it. He's dwelling in the midst of worship. If you're looking for him, here he is. Oh, lift your voices. Come on. That's it. That's it. Hallelujah. Oh, you live here. You dwell here. This is where you operate. Oh, this is where you move among us. It's right here. It's here in collective worship. Hallelujah. Don Whitney said, there's an element of worship and Christianity that cannot be expressed in private worship or just by watching worship. There are some graces and blessings that God gives only in the meeting together with other believers. That's why it's so important that you're here as much as you can be. That's why we stress you've got to be here. You don't want to miss the miracles that come in the room when we gather together, when Jesus fills the atmosphere through collective worship. You don't want to miss the liberty that's here among us when Jesus comes in the room of collective worship. You don't want to miss the special blessings and the unique words of encouragement. You don't want to miss all the special things the Lord has for you that are only found in these moments of collective worship. This is the place he, God lives and dwells and operates. So we're going to talk about three roles in collective worship. There are many roles to a church service. And that's going to be the context we look at today. But today we're looking specifically at collective worship and three roles connected to this idea. And for the sake of time and the focus of our study, these three roles, we're going to, we're going to, we, we could, we could break each one down and spend an entire study on them. I'm going to hit them quick. These three roles, the congregation, the role of the singer, and the role of the musician.
We're not talking necessarily about expressions of worship. We cover those in lesson two. But tonight we're talking about the spiritual dynamic filled in each of these three roles in our collective service. Understanding these three roles will bring the atmosphere of heaven into our midst, not on the occasion, but often. We must understand the importance each role plays in our coming together in our service. We start with, there's one single united purpose between the three roles. That singular collective role of the congregation, the singer, and the musician is this one thing, to invoke the Spirit of God. We've learned that God inhabits the praises of his people. So, in other words, we get God among us by invoking his presence through praise. That's the one united purpose between the three. So we look at the congregation. Congregation, your approach to collective worship is the most influential part of our service. If we come to church worshipful and desperate, I promise you God will come among us. If we come to church worshipless and content, well, then you, he's not going to come and, and dwell among us in the way you'd like him to. That's not to say that God won't move and touch the lives of those who are pursuing him individually. But what you won't see is the massive outpouring of miracles, signs, and wonders in the midst of the church the way that God wants to perform it. You won't see the outpouring or the revival that's found in the book of Acts chapter 2. Consider that outpouring that happened in the book of Acts. In chapter 1, the Bible said there was a, about 120 of them in the upper room. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible said they were all in one mind and in one accord. They were all united together. Not just a few of them. All of them had one purpose. They all had one reason for being there. The key to the Acts chapter 2 revival was found in their understanding of complete unity. You can't expect an Acts 2 revival with only 10% of a church involved in worship. You can't expect an Acts 2 revival with only 25% of a church involved in the worship service. You can't expect an Acts 2 revival with even 50% of a church involved in the worship service. There has to be an overwhelming sense that all of us in this room are involved. We all have to be united. That doesn't mean we all have to worship the same. It doesn't mean we all have to run around the same, dance the same, swing from the chandeliers that we don't have anymore the same hop the pews we don't have but it but it does mean that we have to be united in the sense that whatever expression of worship you are choosing to offer whether it's a run a dance a hand lifted a shout an amen whatever you choose to do you're doing it with the purpose of invoking the presence of God in a 
your hands. Lift up your voices all across the room. Collective worship. Be lifted high. When the congregation of God is united together, God descends among us. We get to experience that glimpse of heavenly worship. The king starts moving. He starts touching. He starts blessing. Supernatural things start happening. Impossibilities start becoming possible. Woo! This person gets the Holy Ghost. That person's renewed in the spirit. This prodigal prays through. This miracle is performed. Why? Because we're invoking his presence. Hallelujah. Woo. That's the role of the congregation tonight. Let's talk about the singer. You may be seated. Role of the congregation, invoke the presence of God. The role of the singer, invoke the presence of God. First of all, I want to say quickly, when you begin to sing, praise singer, worship leader, person out here just singing, first and foremost, it's your worship directly to God. It's your expression of worship. That being said, There are a few additional things that we need to know about the role of the singer, the praise singer, the choir member, worship leader. Two things I want to share with you for just a few moments. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit. And I will sing with the understanding also. Verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Singers, when you begin to sing praise team, choir, when you sing, you are directly edifying the body the word edify here in the greek means to build to help advance another definition is to teach in a way that improves the mind or character of that's a big responsibility Colossians 3 and 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Admonish one another. When you are called to lead the congregation in singing, what you are doing is you're teaching and instructing those around you how to worship. You set an example to the congregation of how they're supposed to worship. And through your instruction, it improves the mind and the character of the congregation, which in turn encourages invoking the presence of God in a proper way, in a more forceful way, in a more passionate and united way. 
And that's why it's so important, singer, praise team, choir member, that when you're singing, you're pushing deeper than everybody else in worship. You're requiring more from yourself in worship. When you get up to sing and it looks like you don't believe the things that you're saying, the things you're singing about, then guess what? That's what you can expect from everybody else around you because that's what you're teaching. Oh, but praise team, when you get up here to sing and tears are streaming down your face, when you start worshiping God and you get so excited, you can't contain it and you start jumping and you start waving your hands and you start dancing and you put down a mic, run to the front and start worshiping. Now you're teaching people how to invoke God. You're teaching others how to worship the fire down from heaven you're showing others what it means to experience heaven's worship then that in turn gets in the mind and the character of the body and all of a sudden the wind of God begins to blow and his spirit enters the room and experiences with God are had that had never been had before oh understand your role today singer understand the responsibility on your shoulders it's not just your worship it's your worship that inspires everybody else lift up your hands lift up your voices Acts chapter 16, verse 25 and 26. We look at a very familiar story, Paul and Silas. Now, I'm not telling you they were amazing singers. I'm not saying you wanted them on your team for karaoke night. No, maybe they were good. Maybe they were skilled. I don't know, but maybe they were terrible. Maybe they just loved to sing. (laughs) Acts 16, verse 25 and 26. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Watch this. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loose. Singer, praise team, choir, we have already established first and foremost, you singing is your worship unto God. Then we discussed the influence of your example when you sing. Well, when Paul and Silas were singing and worshiping, the first thing to understand here is it was loud enough that everybody in the prison heard them. This lets us know there was a sense of passion inside of them. And watch, their passion served as a precursor to what was about to happen. 
the Bible said, and suddenly a great earthquake. The foundations were shaken. Immediately the doors opened and everybody's bands were loosed. That's key. Not only were their bands, but everybody's bands were loose. They didn't set an atmosphere. They sang and bands were loosed. Understand, there's an anointing, a special anointing for the singer for the praise team for the choir member for the congregant that's out here singing with all their heart there's a very special anointing for you that tells me that when you sing you're not only singing for your situation but you're singing for the situation of everybody in the room Oh, if only we could understand that when you sing, when you worship leader, when you shout and lift your hands, a member of the congregation, when you give praise, you're not just singing for your benefit, but you're singing for the person next to you, on your left, on your right, behind you, in front of you. Everybody's bands were loose. And here's the key. The Bible said everyone heard them. When you begin to passionately worship God through singing, you tap into the anointing of God in a way that will suddenly release a power in the atmosphere of the service that's strong enough to shake the foundations, open prison doors, and loose captives. What a power! What a power. What a responsibility. That's why when you come on this platform, you have to forget about what happened in your day to day. That's why you have to put aside that what that person said to you and that person said to you. And you have to put aside every offense and frustration that happened at work and that happened at school. And this person said this and this person said that. No, you have to understand your responsibility isn't just to you. It's to everybody in the room. You've got to put that to the side. Focus in, realize, singing and worship. It's the integral part to bringing collective freedom to the people. There's power in your voice. There's power in your worship. And so when you get up here to sing, God wants to use you to shake the service. God wants to use you to set the atmosphere of deliverance. But not just to set an atmosphere, but to loose captives, to usher in the liberty of God, to bring in the victory of God right to the person next to you. So sing with passion. Sing invoking the presence of God. You don't have to be the best singer. You don't, know how, you don't have to know how to do all the runs. You don't have to have a solo. Just sing with passion. Just invoke the presence of God. Let him pour his anointing out on you and watch how God uses you in ways you never imagined. To the musician. First of all, as with singing, when you play your instrument before the Lord, that is first and foremost your worship that you are giving directly to the Lord. Amen? 
It's your expression of worship. That being said, I have one thing to share with you specifically. There's something very, very special about the anointing of a musician's worship. In the way you play your instrument before the Lord, it's something that many people don't understand. They don't get what I'm about to say to you. It's really important, I think, that as a worshiper, we understand this because I believe it shapes your identity and your role in worship. In the world, music is created to manipulate feelings and emotions. To cause intentional responses and reactions from the listener. There are chord progressions that you can play and you can string together with the intent to manipulate someone into feeling a specific way. That's how the world views music. That's how the world approaches music. The problem here is this. Many people seem to think the church musician is no different than the secular musician in worship music. That like secular music, it's designed to manipulate someone into feeling a certain way. But I want to tell you tonight, uh, that's not the case at all. That's not who you are, musician. You're not a manipulator You're not manipulating someone into feeling a certain way, but I want you to know it's, it's, it's not what you do. And I want to show you in 1 Samuel chapter 16. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. An evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it will come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, he will play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the uh, Bethlehemite that is cunning in playing and a mighty valiant man and a man of war and prudent in matters and a comely person and the Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son which is with the sheep. In verse 23, And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took the harp played with his hand so Saul was refreshed was well and the evil spirit departed from him here's what I want to say when you play musician it may be the same progression it may be the same notes as what someone is playing in secular music but you're not manipulating emotions You're not manipulating anything. Emotions change through your music, yes, but it's not because you're manipulating them to feel a certain way. Verse 23 said, Saul was refreshed, was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. There's a special anointing that God has for the musician. And when you play your worship passionately before the Lord, just as the singer sings passionately, you too will tap into a special anointing, one that a 
passionate and worshiping musician can change the atmosphere and two, can break spiritual oppression and finally can usher in a spirit of refreshing. Get the idea, you are operating in the way God attended music to be operated in. The world is just trying to mimic what it sees in the church because it's inferior to the heavenly anointing that can change a life. The best the world can offer is the ability to manipulate the way someone feels. All that being said, we've got to understand there's a power that comes from the Lord when you begin to play for him. When you play, the atmosphere immediately begins to change. Spirits begin to leave and all of a sudden they're replaced with a spirit of refreshing and renewal. Oh, if we could get it, God's using you to bring a spirit of deliverance. God's using you to bring a spirit of restoration. Listen, musician, don't ever feel like your role isn't important. You are important. Your role matters to the collective. So we look at the collective. All, the congregation, the singer, the musician. What are we talking about today? We're talking about the power of collective worship. Second Chronicles chapter 5. Thus all the work, and we'll wrap up here in just a moment. Thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. Solomon brought in all the things that David his father had dedicated. The silver, the gold, and all the instruments put he among the treasures of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel into Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. Wherefore, all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the king in the feast, which was in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came and the Levites took up the ark. And they brought up the ark and the tabernacle of the congregation. And all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, these did the priests and the Levites bring up. Verse number six. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before the ark. They sacrificed sheep and oxen which could not be numbered for multitude. Verse 7, and the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place to the oracle of the house into the most holy place even under the wings of the cherubims for the cherubims spread forth their wings over the place of the ark and the cherubims covered the ark with the staves thereof above. Second Chronicles 5:13. So we go to verse 13. And it came even to pass as the trumpeters so we had the congregation, right? And it came to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets, 
and cymbals and instruments of music and praise the Lord saying for he is good his mercy endureth forever that even the house was filled with a cloud even the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house Oh, what a moment this is. Verse 6. King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel assembled. And they sacrificed sheep and oxen. The ESV says they sacrificed the sheep and the oxen that couldn't be counted. Couldn't be numbered. It all started with the congregation. The move of God, the cloud that filled the room, where the, this, this manifestation of His presence, it all started with the congregation fulfilling their duty. What did they do? They invoked His Spirit, crying out, sacrificing an amount the Bible said could not be counted, could not be numbered. They're passionate, they're pursuing, they're invoking. Their service began with the altar call. It started with the altar call. Do you know what we call that? Before collective worship begins, where the congregation gathers together to sacrifice, do you know what we call that? We call that the prayer room. We call that the prayer room. It all starts in the prayer room. The prayer room is where you go to sacrifice before worship begins. In the prayer room, that's where you go to lay down every distraction on the altar. It's in the prayer room. You take your frustrations of the day and you put them on the altar. The feelings that you've been dealing with, the struggles, the offenses, the hurts. Do you know where you take care of it? Not in the worship service. No, no. You take care of it in the prayer room. It all started when the congregation was at an altar and they began to offer sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice. Oh, what would happen if every person in this room would start every service in the prayer room? Here's my sacrifice. Here's my frustrations, God. Here's the distractions. Here's the things in my mind. God, I give it all to you so that when service, when worship begins, I don't have to wait till the second song to engage my spirit. That's happened to me before. Has that happened to you? It takes about 20 minutes sometimes. It's the end of the second song and now I'm finally engaged. Oh, but if I could get myself in the prayer room, if I could start cleaning my heart, if I could start cleaning out my mind, if I could start laying these things down at the altar before worship, then when the singers sing, when the musicians play, oh, here comes the cloud. Here comes the cloud. You say, I can't worship because this is going on in my life. This is, this has happened. No, 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 no. Sacrifice starts there. Sacrifice starts in the prayer room. Give it to God in the prayer room. Let it go in the prayer room. Don't come out here holding on to it. Let it go at the altar in the prayer room. Because it impacts collective worship. 
you take care of it there, when you come here and it's time for collective worship, every heart can be united. The congregation's ready. The singers are ready. The musicians are ready. And what do we do? We invoke him. We invoke the presence of God without distraction. We invoke the presence of God without distraction, without fears, without worries, without anxieties. Verse 13, and it came even to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. They lifted their voice with the trumpets, the cymbals, the instruments of music, and they praised the Lord saying, for he is good. His mercy endureth forever. And the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. It started in the prayer room and now they're in the worship service. And when the singers and the musicians became one, lifted their worship before God, it was so The house was filled with a cloud. The glory of the Lord was so thick. The minister, Pastor Robinson, couldn't even get up to preach. The Bible said he couldn't stand. Can you imagine walking in the room and all of a sudden, Pastor start staggering why because the glory is so thick in the room in order for the glory to fall the way it fell in this passage here as a group as a worship team as a congregation we have to understand it starts with one not with one person but with one sound of praise and worship You know what that means? That means there weren't any attitudes. Because they were left on the altar. There wasn't one person trying to steal the show. Not one person trying to be better than the other. Alternatively, there wasn't one person having a pity party. No one was complaining because they didn't get the solo to that song or they weren't featured on this song or they weren't asked to sing a special at this event or or none of that silly stuff. There was one goal, one purpose that today all we want is to invoke his presence. All I want to do, God, is to get your glory from there to here. And whatever I got to do, whatever I got to put on an altar to come in this room and be ready. God, I'm going to do it. Not for self-gratification, but because this was their duty, their role, their responsibility. We do this the right way. In the prayer room. We as a congregation, we clear our minds, we clean our hearts, we sacrifice distractions. The singer shakes foundations, open prisons doors, looses captives. The musician changes the atmosphere, breaks spiritual oppression, ushers in spirits of refreshing. Do you realize drummer? Do you realize singer, piano player, bass player, guitar player, whatever, the anointing that's resting on you? 
do you realize what can become of your instrument do you realize what can become when you lift your voice the power that comes behind collective worship do you do you realize the anointing on your life stand with me Brian Houston said the sound of our house will always reflect the sound of our soul there's something to be said when the church is united in one sound with one purpose it reflects the passion of the church collective worship is the most powerful when all are pursuing the same thing the acts outpouring was because all of the people were pursuing God in the same manner the thick and powerful glory cloud of God that came uh, uh, through the singers and the musicians in our text here happened because they were as one voice one sound everyone understood their role in collective worship it was ultimately one purpose and one person one purpose only and that's to invoke the presence of God into their midst understand you are so important to what happens in this room you affect the atmosphere you create the worship culture in the Old Testament we wouldn't be able to go into the Holy of Holies together only the priest could do that could go into the sacred presence of God but now in this new covenant Hebrews 4 and 16 we can boldly come before the throne of grace oh I'm not going to let an opportunity go to waste. We here in this collective worship, now we can storm the presence of God, invoking His power, invoking His love, invoking His Spirit. We together, you and I, one purpose, collective worship. Lift your hands, lift your voices all across the room. If you've got one purpose today, if you're here for one purpose and to invoke his presence, I, I challenge you, take a step out, move to the side. If you want, come to the front. If your heart is a heart of a true worshiper, I dare you, invoke his presence, invoke his love, invoke his glory, invoke him to fill the room. Oh, somebody operate in their role. Congregation, operate singer, operate musician in your role, and let's change worship in this building forever.